0: Hello, listeners out there in radio and streaming land. This is Movie Night, here on WOMR and WFMR. I'm Harry Kaysen, and welcome to the penultimate episode for 2023. Here on Movie Night, I've taken the great liberty of styling myself as a defender of the realm of cinema, a Movie Night, K-N-I-G-H-T. I have been a writer, director, and actor in Hollywood, though now I'm fortunate enough to reside in beautiful, autumn-swept Cape Cod, Massachusetts. It's November, and the holidays are coming fast. Perhaps you'll have family visiting, or you'll be visiting them. Allow me to suggest four new movies you might share with the ones you love. The movies this episode are The Burial, Killers of the Flower Moon, Jibaro, and the one film this month that happens to be my favorite. Return listeners know I reserve that title until the end to keep you guessing and tuned in. Now, my opinions are mine and mine alone, and I won't be handing out negative reviews. I know firsthand how challenging it can be to bring a film to life. I'm only here to praise the recent works I'm most fond of. And WOMR here in Provincetown and WFMR in Orleans are such forces for positivity. I want to honor that legacy like a good knight should. I'll also be interviewing an esteemed colleague from Hollywood. It's the first time I've had someone from his department on my show. He's a retired prop master. Yes, you heard that right. He is Kevin Hughes, and he spent his entire career in a kind of fascinating scavenger hunt, tracking down or creating key props for many fine feature films, some of which include Borat, The Wedding Planner, Boogie Nights, Teen Wolf, and The Black Stallion. Besides having been on location on Apocalypse Now, whoa, he's a charming fellow with a laugh like a bowlful of jelly. Stay tuned for our fun and funny conversation. First up is The Burial. It was written by Doug Wright, Maggie Betts, and Jonathan Haar, and it was directed by Ms. Betts. It stars Jamie Foxx, Tommy Lee Jones, Journey Smollett, Alan Ruck, and Mamadou Athie. This film is inspired by true events, and it's basically a courtroom drama, but with a lot of sidebars, shall we say. Tommy Lee Jones is a funeral home director, and he sells his company to a major corporation, expecting a quick and easy transaction. But they don't make movies about quick and easy transactions, now do they? Turns out the process becomes a quagmire, and Mr. Jones has to reluctantly enlist the aid of a high-powered attorney, played by Jamie Foxx. This happens to be the second Jamie Foxx film I've reviewed in the last few months, and baby, he's back. Some of you may know this Oscar-winning actor suffered a serious health crisis recently, but you couldn't tell from this performance. He's firing on all cylinders, and it's a pleasure to watch him do his stuff, from outrageous highs to subtle and human lows. What's more, Jamie's on-screen partnership with the very grounded Tommy Lee is the perfect blend of grit and fireworks. Okay. Okay. Just a bit more about the plot. The story takes place present day in the Deep South, and everyone knows they'll be facing a jury composed mostly of people of color. Are they going to play the race card? You bet they are. Does the Mega Corporation bring in their own high-powered attorney of color to do battle with the high-flying Mr. Fox? You bet they do. The twist here is that the race card is played for the benefit of a white guy. Will it work? The director... Ms. Betts never tries to force a perspective or load the deck emotionally. She steps back to allow her cast to shine like the diamonds they are. Not bad at all for a director on only their second feature film. And Journey Smollett as the opposing attorney to Jamie Foxx brings a sly, brilliant energy to the proceedings. If you like courtroom dramas, this is one of the better ones I've seen in recent years. And if you're interested in a story about the lengths some people go to help their families or the families of others you won't be disappointed either. Fine, fine work from all involved. Available on Prime Video. And now we have Killers of the Flower Moon. It was written by Eric Roth and Martin Scorsese, based on a non-fiction book by David Gran. It was directed by Martin Scorsese and stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Lily Gladstone, Jesse Plemons, Tantu Cardinal, and John Lithgow. This is the biggest movie to be released so far this year. Biggest meaning biggest budget, biggest ad campaign, most press coverage. Is it all worth it? I'd say it was. Some people are saying it's Scorsese's masterpiece. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's certainly in his pantheon. The basic plot. Based on true events, it's early 20th century. Oil has been discovered in Oklahoma on an Osage Indian reservation a lot of oil, and all the Osage are suddenly and enormously wealthy, but in very short order they are preyed upon by ruthless people seeking to get their wealth from them by any means possible. Robert De Niro plays a local rancher who claims to be friends with the Osage, though he's a million miles from it, and Leonardo DiCaprio plays his hapless and rather dim nephew who is basically De Niro's lackey. Lily Gladstone plays a native Osage who was wooed by DiCaprio into becoming his wife, which just gets messier and messier. Jesse Plemons plays an FBI agent, sent out to try and protect the Osage from the money-mad predators circling them. As you can tell from my description, this is no laugh riot. In some states, it might even be banned as a proponent of critical race theory. But the production standards are absolutely first-rate as with all Scorsese films, and every performance is of the highest caliber. Lily Gladstone is especially fine, with a core of serenity and concentration practically unique to actors of our day. Expect her to be an Oscar nominee, and well-earned. However, this is not all Indians good, white people bad. There are subtleties here, there are shades, as evidenced by DiCaprio's tortured character who loves his wife, but does he love her more than money? but let's talk about the filmmaking a little more. From the very first visually stunning scenes, Scorsese sets a walking pace, shall I say. He takes his time showing us this fascinating, though brutal world, and lets the story unspool as organically as any film I've seen this year. I'd have to go so far as to say this is an important piece, helmed by an important director. It won't be everyone's cup of oil, but I found it fascinating, tragic, beautiful, and very memorable in theaters now. And now we have an anomaly to this show. It's very short, by film standards, only 17 minutes long, but it's an absolutely eye-popping ride. It's called Hibaro, and it was written by Alberto Mielgo and Tim Miller, and it was directed by Alberto Mielgo, Jerome Dunjon, and Jennifer Yu Nelson. What's also unusual about this piece is that it's animated, but you've never seen animation like this. It's clearly rotoscoped, meaning they've turned a live-action frame into animation, a technique that's been around for a century, but my lord, Aunt Stephanie, you've never seen rotoscoping at this artistic level. Unless you've seen other works by Mr. Mielgo, The Windshield Wiper, a stunning piece which won the Oscar last year for Best Animated Short, or Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse on which Mr. Mielgo was a creative consultant... Anyway, here's the story. A group of armored knights on horseback confront a beautifully dazzling water demon seeking to destroy her. Except this dancing water demon has the power to overwhelm these knights with otherworldly shrieks that cause them to destroy themselves. The fly in the ointment is that there is one knight who is deaf and unaffected by this demon. That's the story. But the storytelling, wow! I was searching for a fourth movie for this episode and happened across this little gem as part of the anthology Love, Death, and Robots. I flipped through episodes until this came up and it stopped me cold. Is this live action? Is this animation? Whatever it is, it's artful to the extreme, borrowing heavily from East Indian mythology. Yes, there's a lot of new animation out there right now, a lot of it wonderfully visual, though unfortunately mostly dystopic. This ain't that. This is a fable painted in flaming colors by a team with the souls of artists. They say Rembrandt painted in gold. These people paint in gold, too. However, be warned, there's a fair amount of blood and violence, so it's not for little kids. I have to admit, Hibero's incredible images woke me up in the middle of the night, weeks after seeing it. That's when I knew I had to include it in this month's episode. There's truly nothing like it. This could be the future available on Netflix as part of the anthology Love, Death, and Robots, Season 3. Now, it's time for my honored guest. He is Kevin Hughes, a retired prop master, a very specialized niche in Hollywood, like being a fencing master or a horse wrangler. It takes a keen eye, fanatical diligence, and sometimes a lot of luck. Kevin's early career included Apocalypse Now!, And though that might have scared anyone off, (laughs) he pushed on to carve himself a distinguished career in some of the most prestigious movies Hollywood ever turned out. And he did it with patience, consideration, and kindness, beloved of all who worked with him. Can you tell I like this guy? Well, you will too. I give you my friend, Mr. Kevin Hughes. So I'm here with my friend, Mr. Kevin Hughes. How are you, Kevin?
1: Fine, thanks. Good to hear from you. And you? Uh, so
0: you were one of those uh, rare birds in Hollywood that uh, that people refer to as a prop master uh, of all the jobs in Hollywood that I've always found to be one of the most fascinating. Uh, how how the hell did that come your way?
1: Well, my dad was a prop man. He worked on clown breakfast shows of Chucko and Bozo type clown shows. He worked on Soupy Sales and Soupy Sales, worked, my favorite. Yeah, he he was he he and. Bobby Quay were co-pie throwers on the Soapy Sales Show. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and a grown man, I, a grown I, man.
0: This is his job.
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, even before I was born, he had a fantastic job. You and I have talked about this before. My dad flew in the duck. If you said the secret word on the Groucho Marx show when they shot the show in Hollywood a couple of seasons, his job was to stand by, and if somebody said the secret word. Somebody would tap him on the shoulder and say, "There, there. It's toaster. Go." And he that was his job. That was a grown man's job. A grown man's job. Thirty minute day. You know, thirty minute. uh, You know, I guess he got paid for eight hours and. They probably shot five shows a day, or something like that. But
0: now we're talking, boy. That's those those. That's a good job. That's a good job. <laughs> I remember you telling me that his dad was a prop guy too, something like that. What it his is? His
1: dad was in was in the in the union uh, and uh, worked on the, in the vaudeville stage in Hollywood. Wow, the uh, sea captain. He he was in World War One as a captain, and he was in World War Two as a captain of the of the merchant marines. Wow, and, uh, cool. and it's funny because a lot of people came from the navy and from working in the sea to doing show business You hear stagehand gaffer all those things are nautical terms and the rope and getting ga- in the way that you're putting in lights and things is all done the same way that you would rig ships no kidding i didn't know that. About you that. call it the deck they took the, you know the, yeah. all that stuff is very nautical and uh, so mm. my grandfather having been in the navy then moved into los angeles and thought it could work vaudeville and that was who they were were sure. Pulling.
0: sure 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 well let me ask you about uh there's props in the news right now obviously with alec baldwin what's your yeah. take on all of that and is the prop guy responsible is the armorer responsible is the actor well, responsible?
1: the armorer is responsible the prop guy uh basically is, is is kind of is the armorer's boss in the in a movie but uh there's so many things that went wrong on that it's just heartbreaking for me and uh it, it comes down to, in to the art department and the prop man i heard that uh first of all the idea that the, there was a live gun out out on the set during a lunch break three things yeah, i just that's said none of those mind-mogled. should have happened
0: mind model
1: the the ad is playing with it when it's you know when they're when they're at lunch and why there were bullets on it i can't imagine uh, except crazy people because there are guns deciding that they could do target practice or something and shoot tin cans at lunch or something
0: that's insane The
1: reason you don't have bullets in guns is because Something like this could happen.
0: Boy, no kidding.
1: But I, as much as it it hurts me, breaks my heart that it's it took place. It's interesting to think that in 110 years of movie making, there's only been three notable gun uh, failings where a gun killed a person.
0: Considering how many guns have been used in movies, yeah, that's
1: true. Oh man, and how many guns have been fired and blanks have been fired? It's it's crazy to think. Yeah. Yeah. And many more, you know, accidents have happened. But this is an accident that absolutely should not have happened. There were so many guidelines that that any prop master that, you know, that really knows what they're doing does not let happen.
0: Like, uh, well, let's on a happier note. Yes, uh, but, it seems. It seems to me that a, a prop master's job would be basically just be a scavenger hunt. Isn't that basically the job? It's finding yeah, all these to, crazy to, little things.
1: Yeah, to read the script, get things that are in the script that you know will be handled by the actors it's uh, I. i usually just read a script and circle any noun yeah, yeah. Uh, cool and if he lifts up something whatever that is it's probably a prop That's uh, funny. and cars keys all those things are so if it's a period piece which is the ones i love to do sure uh, it's that scavenger hunt gets a lot harder than just going down to the you know seven yeah,
0: of it yeah now there I've been in a couple of big prop houses that were still around 20 years ago are those gone yeah. by now or are they and still there's around?
1: two big ones still here but uh the the ones my favorites that were more of the middle of the middle of the road <laughs> prop houses yeah where where you stuff. get something you pick up something and think and you'd see it in the one of the, the salesmen would say yeah that's been here that was you know John Wayne used that in in this movie or that movie and it's kind of crazy that you're we were handling all these props that were just it, it, there's hero props that are you see very specifically in the hands of you know the actors, but always in a period piece, you know everybody all the prospectors are using cans and pans and things so there's. Sure. Not just the heroes, but a bunch of people in the background who are doing stuff I I was talking in, in prepping for this was thinking about a friend of mine, who was a prop man on Forrest Gump and. Uh, the props in that movie are so good and they're so plentiful it's a movie that goes through so many time frames it's a colleague style movie plus props that have to fall apart while he's running and right ping pong paddles that were that had uh China and Mao on one side and all the marketing that was done within the movie and then they you know marketed it after that
0: name some other prop centric movies that you're fond of just for that well,
1: reason. prop centric I i tried to think of a few I, I I don't know I I've done a couple that were kind of fun I think I, Boogie Nights is one that was a lot of props we had live cameras that all these all these as time goes through in the world of pornography the cameras have been changing from you know film first first mm-hmm. of all to mm-hmm. video and from video to cheap video And then, and uh, what Paul Thomas Anderson wanted to do was to actually shoot with those cameras. Wow! So, kind of an interesting crossover between props in the camera department because we we had to find these old period cameras, and especially find them that worked. Sure. These days uh, they
0: just these days they just digitally you know mess with it. I'm sure they wouldn't bother. Yes,
1: but they'd still have to have what they're they're all handheld in the actors' hands and in the shot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You still see where they are moving and you see you know loading cameras and stuff it was it was a, a real challenge
0: that, that but, sounds like it. now let me ask you about directors uh i remember hearing an interview with the sigourney weaver with the first two alien movies and she said when it came to props and guns and things like that really couldn't care less but uh, but uh, james cameron was all over that stuff oh, that interesting what he was the most interested in was all the props and the guns and all that well talk to me about a director you've worked with that was very prop centric and another director there wasn't
1: yeah uh, well the case? certainly PT Anderson was uh crop centric and we had a lot of meetings uh and showing him what we were hoping to use and he would have a lot of input as to whether that was what he wanted to use or not uh it's interesting because among those things were you know uh penises oh, right
0: yeah the fake penis right <laughs> uh
1: that ended up there was a lot of talk about that during the in prep but the costumer was really the person who ended up doing most of that work which was basically a a, a triple condom filled with bird seed that would, would <laughs> oh no costumer. you're giving away a
0: Hollywood secret yeah sorry <laughs> yes yeah.
1: um, but I, I like to tell people that I was the model
0: oh, uh, of course yes of course yeah somebody, blah 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 right
1: somebody had to make that
0: you know. well somebody's got to have to put the bird seed somewhere sure, <laughs>
1: Yes.
0: what uh well Jim well, to...
1: Jarmusch is another is a problem Is a director who really didn't care about it like you were saying it was,
0: oh, it was like about and-
1: what what actors were going to do i mean he had to have props and that one movie i worked on him was again was a period piece and there were guns in it and stuff but basically he just wanted to make a movie he didn't care you know what was in it or not you know right,
0: right. and the, then i forget the name of that movie the jarmusch movie uh dead man dead man That's yeah, right. With With yeah. Dead. Yeah, yeah yeah and yeah.
1: shot in black and white Robbie Mueller shot it. It's really a beautiful, beautiful movie. That is astounding stuff. Yeah. And props is kind of such a nothing thing, really. I mean, it, it's important. Well, not, not necessarily. I mean, I, I
0: think look at all the Star Wars movies. Where would they be without props? My God, yeah, they're, they're swimming in props. Yeah. But you're, yeah. What, do, you have, do you have any X-wing ex, ex, uh, fighters in a box somewhere in, in your closet? <laughs>
1: that you do that stuff? No, is I didn't right? did do any real futuristic movies. I did a couple of rodeo movies. So Cowboys are... I'm hoping cowboy movies come back because I think well, that me too. I, I, I,
0: there's not a single actor I've ever met that isn't dying to be in a cowboy. Yeah, movie.
1: Well, uh, you did a, co- a cowboy movie in a way. I did. I, I did. I, 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 kind of cowboy.
0: Oh, well wrote it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It, that, yeah. it was, I, actually, I got to ride the hero horse, too, which was a lot of fun. Too.
1: Oh, nice. It's it one of my horse favorite horse. stories that happened uh, to the animal trainer was telling us a story on Dead Man that <laughs> there was somebody that brought in a horse to be in the movies that they'd been trading as and they thought it could you know in with the other horses there's a lot of horses in the scene one of the horses name was action Oh no, <laughs> they had to come up with a whole new way of shooting the scene. Because I guess so. They couldn't retrain the horse. That way,
0: commence. Yeah,
1: right. yes, right. Start and stop, I think, is what they ended up with. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of if you think you're going to do it work in the movies and you name your horse, don't name your horse action. <laughs> <laughs> it's like cut. A horse don't name it yeah or cut exactly. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I worked funny. in a movie with Robert Downey and uh he and it was a really serious scene he wasn't in the scene he was next up so they brought him in from the dressing room and uh Bruce Dern and Kiefer Sutherland were doing this huge fight arguing crisis of lifetime am I going to go to Vietnam or not are you my father is my brother really alive or dead really tear scenes and down he comes up and he's watching it being shot and uh everybody's silent waiting for the scene to end and down comes up and goes cut oh no <laughs> they, oh my god and then they looked around and thought oh that wasn't the director oh what my happened? god I and everybody looked at him they looked at Downey, god. and he went kidding <laughs> oh god uh, oh. really uh, that movie was called 1969 and I uh, it's probably the f- most fun I've had on a movie
0: Oh, uh, exactly. me. let's talk about um, the of fun Christmas trees you've at, at one point you and I were talking you mentioned you'd uh, decorated a, a few Christmas trees uh, how yeah, you,
1: how some of that? I think of how most people if they think of uh, how many Christmas trees uh, they've de- decorated in their life it's probably like 10 fewer than their age yeah you know. I mean you've probably decorated Help to decorate a tree from when you were 10 years old until now yeah, yeah once a year maybe a couple three other places and if you use that philosophy one might think i was several hundred years old <laughs> <because> <laughs> working on a soap opera there's you know nine different families that you shoot at every one of those families has a christmas tree the christmas oh yeah sure on soap operas oh, so yeah. if you work two different soap operas every year that's 40 christmas trees per season that wow. you end up wow. doing okay uh, well tell our good. listening
0: audience what your brother did what his job was
1: he was the prize coordinator for the price is right for uh, I think 40 years 30, oh. 35, 35 or more years wow. his only job was to go to CBS and make sure that the right number of plates from the Broy hill living room was on the table that rolled out into <laughs> door number two and did so, he say
0: and put the motorcycle over there a little bit to the left no or? no he
1: he was on just getting them from the warehouse to the set to oh, the stage okay and then and in fact for several years i was at the other end of that and when they'd come up to the set then i'd be part of putting it on the ramp and t- you know, tying the motorcycle oh, down. So he, so
0: he wasn't schlepping this stuff he was just picking it out
1: well he ended up as again he turned out to be a management job so he, he there was a prop crew down there so he would point and they would pick up the <laughs> bring again up a, the a grown man has this job <laughs> <laughs> for 40 years for 40 I years. couldn't possibly do it I mean he's he's a, a Virgo and a writer and it's the kind of thing he really enjoyed being able to have a steady work job sure uh, I thrived on the varying on, on differences and changes
0: so thank you very much, Mr. Hughes, and your uh, fascinating report from the front, uh, from the rear, from the side, uh, you know, from off stage. Yeah. Uh, uh, it sounds like it, it sounds like it was a fun career. Was would uh, you? I, is that a yeah? Good wouldn't trade the world. That's uh, wonderful.
1: And thanks very much for the opportunity to talk about it. I really. Uh, My pleasure. I had this before, so when I mentioned
0: pleasure. to friends of mine that I'm going to be interviewing a prop master this time, they all sat up on their in their chairs. You're going to do what? it's usually it's usually something boring like a writer or
1: an actor is it no no this is a prop master." oh i have to hear that one well great well they so can up, look me up, up, up. up on uh on imdb and see the see my resume one I'll quick do- thing oh where well, you're already, you're probably no, we're still going go ahead uh, uh, i would go to try to get a gig on a movie and show them my resume and my resume the first movie i worked on was apocalypse now and five or six movies down on my resume was teen wolf that Michael J. Fox is in, yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that's not much of a movie, and and but Apocalypse, you know, I'm going to do this. And every time you your production manager would say, "You worked on Teen Wolf, man, that made a million bucks." They <laughs> 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 didn't care anything about Apocalypse you know, now. Apocalypse, Teen yeah, Wolf. that old
0: hack, yeah, right.
1: <laughs> oh, I got my gigs.
0: Teen <laughs> Wolf, hilarious. Uh, but, all right, Mr. Hughes, thank you so very much.
1: Thank you, Harry. It's a pleasure talking to you. And
0: you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Up next is my favorite film for this month, and the title is A Thousand and One. It was written, produced, and directed by a single person, A.V. Rockwell, and it stars Teyana Taylor, Will Catlett, Aaron Kingsley-Editola, and Josiah Cross. Here's the story. It's Harlem, NYC, in the 90s and early 2000s. A young black woman, a single mother, newly released from prison for theft, abducts her son from foster care and they go underground together, somehow trying to make it with almost no money and almost no friends. A slice-of-life movie in an arena of life rarely shown in major motion pictures, all of it inspired by the writer-director's remembrance of things past. This film won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance this year, which puts it in the same category as Minari and Coda, both of whom went on to win Best Picture Oscars, so it's in very good company. I think it has a real shot. This is Ms. Rockwell's first feature-length film, and it's a stunner. The cinematography by Eric Yu is particularly fine, most of all for how completely unobtrusive it always is. You forget you're watching a film and start to believe you're eavesdropping on real people's real lives. And the acting. There's hardly any acting in this film at all. There's only being. I recently was in London and saw a stage production put on by the Royal Shakespeare Company, There was a hell of a lot of acting that night, and not necessarily in a good way. It's just the opposite here. Tiana Taylor's performance has been generating a lot of buzz, and I'd be shocked if she wasn't nominated for an Oscar. She's as honest and true as a young Cicely Tyson, which is high praise indeed. She's fiery, mesmerizing, heartbreaking, funny, and bone marrow real. And Will Catlett isn't far behind as her partner. And there's an added surprise near the end, a big one. Far be it from me to give that away. But do yourself a favor and don't read about it online somewhere. It's worth waiting for. However, this film is gritty with a capital G, though it never feels exploitative or show-offy. There's no hard drug use. There's no nudity, but there is a lot of profanity, and it's definitely not for kids. It's available on Prime Video, and it's a real winner. That's it for November 2023. Thanks to my guest, Mr. Kevin Hughes, and thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. We are in a pledge drive right now, and you can show your appreciation by making a donation in any amount to our nonprofit station, WOMR. You can do so by calling us directly at 508-487-2619 or going online to www.womr.org. Goodbye, and good movies.